what happens when studios realize they can't recreate the movie magic of a Ray Harryhausen film without the big budget? Well, you get one of the ugliest kaiju in film history. This is Kaiju versus History, The Giant Claw. Welcome to Kaiju vs. History, an atomic blast through cinema's feature creatures. I'm Patrick, and with me is my co-host, Miles, you just heard. And Miles, by the time I get through with you, Mr. Podcast Engineer, you'll be lucky if they let you host a murder mystery podcast on this network. You know what? If after watching this movie, that's fine. I, I, I tried <laughs> my best to give a terrible delivery of that line. I couldn't even couldn't even match the original actor. <laughs> in this movie <laughs> by the time i get through with you mr podcast engineer oh boy uh yeah so we're we're marching through the annals of kaiju cinema and <laughs> part of that march <clears throat> is a, a slog through 50s american giant monster movies that's what we're doing this week and At, patrick i have to I have to admit, this is this is kind of giving me a little bit of an existential crisis, um, <laughs> because any anyone who has followed you know our years on the more you nerd, or listened to Cosmic Crit and some of the the streams that we've done there, mm-hmm. I I tend to have a reputation amongst my friends as you know oh Miles likes everything and Miles has the biggest tolerance for bad movies, and when it comes to kind of wild movies that are inventive like. Six String Samurai or mm. your Z Grade Voyage of the Rock Aliens. It's just kind of out there and fun. Yes, I, I do. I, I love that kind of trash cinema. But when it comes to some of these, a lot of these 50s era atomic monster movies that just are carbon copies of the same not great idea, I, I have, I, fi- I think I've found my my limit. <laughs> your, crypt, your kryptonite, your film kryptonite. It's, it's yeah because it, it's making me rethink a lot of the stuff because I was like watching the you know especially you know this film and and our film for next week and I'm, I'm wondering if okay maybe I'm I, I've always been a defender of like 50s sci-fi cinema but there's good there's good 50s sci-fi American films out there it's just not in the giant monster genre <laughs> was it was it a mistake coming down this road I mean last week we had our lowest rated giant American monster movie or or kaiju movie so far. And on the surface, it seems like one that, I mean, just looking at the trailer, you know, I mean, the giant, the deadly mantis, this giant mantis, it kind of looks like they had a lot of things right. But yeah, they did not in the writing and directing department. Yeah. Uh, And I I can't, I can't wonder if I was maybe being too hard. And then I, I watched this next movie and I decided, no, I, I, I'm not. It's that, it, and I've, I've mentioned, I've made this feeling known before in that I, I think when we're talking specifically about kaiju cinema, it takes a very, very long time for America or American filmmakers to kind of get it right because they're just making giant, giant creature features. They're not making kaiju films. And I don't, I don't think they have a sense of, of what a kaiju film, even though in, in this one, we do see some tropes of, of, stuff that we have seen before but i i would i would argue and i don't really have a basis on on paper giant claw spoiler warning 
it should be a kaiju film that works. Yeah, and I, I I don't have anything to really support this, but my my conjecture is that we don't really see the influence of kaiju cinema as we know it until much later after the Showa era of Godzilla films are frequently circulated in in not just drive-ins, but then later um, on on television for for decades, and that yeah. influence really starts to seep in there as opposed to what we're used to now in a lot of cinematic genre trends, you're used to seeing something coming out and then things following it. But I think with this specific genre, it's a little bit of a slower seeping for the Japanese cinema to really fully influence some of its American counterparts. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, even Godzilla in his first iteration, that's, I know in, Gojira 1954 that Godzilla dies but that that iteration of the monster is I mean obviously a kaiju but it doesn't feel like a lot of the kaiju that we're going to be seeing in the 60s especially where they are full of character full of their own kind of anima and it's the same thing with all these 50s they are monsters there to be kind of reacted to and yeah I mean it's it's just we're still in the proto kind of phase for a lot of these creature features we're, we're still in in the early stages where unfortunately this week's movie they're just carbon copying a lot of the, the same tropes uh we're seeing a pattern here of you know this movie made money with this project can we remake this and cut the budget and try and make money as well and not putting you know the love obviously one of the things that Toho did differently as they had a host of creatives on their films early on that were treating those those movies with a, a great deal of respect. I think you probably could have slashed the budget of Godzilla in half and still had an amazing movie because they would have found a way around. Yeah, there, there's still a lot of of heart and, and stuff to say within the context of that film here. Like, I feel like. Columbia Pictures and, and Sam Kurtzman, uh, who who produced this film, basically at, asked uh, Fred of Sears to more or less create a movie in the vein of everything that's come before it. And maybe piggybacking on some of Toho's success with Rodan. But, I mean, the, that film came out, I think, a month later in America. So maybe it was trying to steal the thunder. But it just, there's not a lot, I feel like, behind this. There's, there's not a creative drive behind some of the stuff that we're seeing right now in these American movies. I mean, we're going to, we're going to see that happen a ton with your asylum pictures and things like that, where they will, as soon as for sure figure out Godzilla's or some movie is coming into production, you know, they put out their own oh, a week or so before uh, eight versus monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, you know, we've got Pacific Rim coming out. What's the the <laughs> at least what's, what's Indian the opposite? Ocean Rim? <laughs> but yeah, that they probably could have had some inkling that a a flying monster movie was coming out, but they obviously couldn't have known because I, I don't think trailers work the same way back then. Obviously. Right? They could have known what it looked like, or I I, I try to imagine 
this movie and we'll get we'll talk about everything including our review later on try to imagine this movie but what if they had the suitmation and the model work of rodan you know <laughs> what if that just was put in the place of the giant claw and it's like i i still don't think this movie would have still uh, been pretty bad yeah pretty but, but before we get into this movie because we're we're going to uh we, we gotta we gotta go into asking you what's in a title well a good deal for this one. This film, it started its principal photography in February of 1957 in LA and started under the production title of The Mark of the Claw, which is not a bad title. That or The Giant Claw, I don't think are terrible by themselves. I don't think they're great. I don't think they're good. They, they don't really convey the monster of the film, though. Yeah. And that's, you know, a, a problem with a lot of the American, like, I mean, as great of a title as them, just all capital letters, them is, you know, it's it's like the Matrix. You know, it's like, well, it doesn't really tell you a lot about what the how cool the movie is or or how terrible it is if you don't like it. But not a ton of of other titles in other countries released that are better than Giant Claw. Most were just translations of the Giant Claw. There was a DVD release in Japan under the title Humanity's Crisis Claws of the Giant Monster Bird, which probably was, you know, I, I like had, that better. <laughs> prob- I, I think Daikaiju was somewhere in that title. Attack of the Giant Claw in Germany and Brazil was called Attack Comes from the Pole, <laughs> which that, that sounds like a, uh, a very different film. <laughs> <laughs> the Monster of the Skies in Italy. But yeah, like you said, the main problem there, Rodan, Godzilla. Mothra. These are titles that it kind of, you know, tells you what the star of the film is. This one, if it had, you know, they they call the bird by a name. They they say um Kakanye, Kakanya in the movie. Yeah, it's based off an old urban or old mythological folklore. Yeah. And if, if that would have been fine if they'd called the monster that. A battleship buzzard Kakanye or something along those lines. That just sounds like an, an anime from the 80s. But yeah, yeah, it's th- this is one I think their marketing campaign actually wasn't that bad because they don't show the monster in the the film's poster. It cuts off the head, but I think they've made the poster before they ever had the the actual creature because on the poster it looks more like an eagle and it doesn't necessarily look the same. And we obviously got something that looks more like a space buzzard. Yeah, and I mean that that's something that would happen frequently. They would they would make the the, the poster and be like, hey, you have three weeks to make this and and show the poster. We could uh, do an entire podcast on just the differences between poster art and finished product art because oh, it's yeah. like quite interesting how how much differences there are to be had, including with Godzilla films and things like that. At least Godzilla films usually. And in a lot of the ja- original Japanese posters, it's it's like photos from the movie put together. Well, I'm not dissimilar from what you see in most Marvel posters now, where it's it's not that much original imagery. It's just here here are our marquee stars, and this is the movie. Yep. But so I guess the main thing we have to talk about is the monster itself. Obviously, a a flying foe is possible. You know, Rodan had you know just come out when this film went into production, but. I don't know. I think, and I know that at first it was thought that that Ray Harryhausen might be tapped to do the monster effects. And if you have Ray Harryhausen, you you potentially have an interesting creature. I I think you could have done a lot with even the same you know 
model that they eventually went with, but for your close-ups, for your your eating scenes, things like that, switched it out with the stop motion. And I don't think they would have had to have done that much stop motion, you know? No, I, I don't think they would have either. And I think it would have at least, I mean, I don't think it would have necessarily made the movie better, but I think at least the monster scenes would have been a little bit more entertaining. And, and this is the big problem with some of these, you know, dime store American monster movies is when your marquee creature isn't interesting to look at in any capacity, you don't have a movie. Yeah. I mean, especially in this era, you can look, I, I am a strong believer. If you have a strong story, it doesn't matter what your budget is. The movie can survive. And I still believe that. However, when these pictures were painted around, we're going to show a giant monster doing things that they didn't have you know, three-dimensional characters or a plot that made any sort of sense. It's just, you know, we're, we're making these, these, these setups so that eventually you see the giant monster. And when you have a giant monster that is, to me, as disappointing as this one, because at one point, the monster is just a blur. I, th- I think the supersonic speeds it was flying at, the, the method they went with was drawing on a glass plate and like moving it across the, the camera lens. I think that's what they did because it is. I, I don't know. And I, I'm glad you mentioned the supersonic speed because I, when I was initially watching it, that was not, that did not enter my mind. And I was like, this is, this is rough. And, you know, looking at some other critical reactions, I'm not the only person to, to see that because I mean, I mean, it was a problem Rodan had and the way they mitigated it was showing the flying prop from angles that one made it look bigger and two, they used it very sparingly only when they had to for like the jet fighting scenes. There's no other. Well, I think they had two models for this film. I don't think they were very different i don't think they had like a good close-up model the story is (laughs) sam Gatzman, the producer supposedly went to a a mexican special effects firm to make this marionette puppet for for the monster and is reported he paid 50 dollars for the the i guess two creatures so two miniatures which wow (laughs) you know what it looks like it was made with 50 (laughs) dollars I mean, yeah, it's like, well, adjusting for inflation, it's still only $500. It's like 470 something. Well, and, and we got to stress, these are very cheap pictures. He, these were made just to, to, to yeah. toss out in the, drive, the drive-ins. But I mean, like you said, that is the one thing you want to spend some money on. Money on, I agree. And, like even in the Deadly Mantis, I feel bad I gave Deadly Mantis <laughs> such, a, such a hard time compared to this one. For its technical effects, because they built a 200 foot, you know, scale mantis head. Now they didn't do anything really interesting with it, unfortunately, but they went through the process. And like I said during our episode, if you ever Google that film, that's usually the scene that comes up. Is it lording over the cars in this tunnel? You can't really do that <laughs> with this movie. This movie, it does. You know, if you Google it, <laughs> an image of the monster does come up but it's that one where it's looking directly at the camera, this buzzard's face and it's googly eyes are kind of, Oh uh, gosh. It, I mean, I, 
I unironically laughed. Like, it was just, it was hilarious. And, and that's, that's always a bummer when, I mean, yes, if you're going back to watch like something you grew up with and you see like, oh man, this Godzilla suit's a little janky. It's, it's fun. But when you're watching a movie for the first time and you see the creature and it's, it's, it is literally laughably bad. It's, it's not even the like, oh, you know, if they had just done this angle, this is a bad looking bird. I mean, they could have had paid the best puppet master, you know, marionette artist in the world. They still wouldn't have done been able to do that much with it because, you know, it's it's really just the head, the retractable claws. I don't even think there's that much articulation in the wings and like the mouth, the the beak that opens up and down. But it is a janky, googly eyed. I mean, it comes off looking very much like a toy or more of a Muppet than. Yeah, it uh, definitely has that vibe. And because there is so much detail that they put into the face and the facial features are so large compared to like the wings, for example, that has kind of like a lopsided feature to it that makes the face, especially which they focus on, look toy like it looks I mean, I hope you're Googling it right now to get a reference image. It's just no at no point when the camera is looking at its face. Does it I mean, does it really look good? The the one scene I think that they might have done OK with is when the giant claw is eating the parachuters out of the air and they do some rear screen projection on that. But once again, it's like a tiny toy blown up behind them coming in and right eating them up. And I, I mean, there there are certain shots where I'm like, this this could easily be a meme, and and I can see that being you know, pretty amusing. But I, I I hate that that's that's it. That that's that's the the top effect that this monster has on me. It's like, oh, maybe 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 it could be a meme at some point and as a reaction. And I don't I don't know how much else there is to say about the the behind the scenes of this film, other than you know it does actually fall into our categorization of kaiju films. You know, it's a unique. Right sentient massive creature it does have some special powers and abilities and it does kind of play on some of the tropes that we understand for kaiju films yeah so i mean it follows the almost the exact same formula as you know beasts from Twenty Thousand fathoms them even godzilla to a bit where like there's some mystery about what it is exactly at the beginning of the film yeah the main character who kind of sees it and it, it's taking out, it's a fishing boat. It's taking out like airplanes and things. But yeah, the first time the military goes up against it, they get their behinds handed to them and they have to go and they have to go to a scientist and figure out a way to like it on paper. Once again, checking off all the boxes. This is very much a kaiju movie. Yeah, it it also it has. I mean, it's supposed to be a space creature. Comes yeah, the, they they they. they... They sort of dance around that. Like they're still guessing mm-hmm. they're, they're saying that the stuff around it, like, oh, this is definitely not from Earth. But like they well, they say it's got an antimatter shield almost like it's yeah. made of flesh and blood, but it's surrounded. So it might come from like an antimatter universe or something. And yeah, so just like the idea, like Godzilla, regular bullets and missiles had no effect on it. But here, at least there there actually is. A, a specific reason behind it, which is like weird, right? And and conceptually, that's, that's pretty cool. And, and like in Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, I mean, they could hurt it with weapons, but they realized they were doing damage to themselves. So, I mean, props at least for that element of it. 
I would have loved if they actually had special effects for an antimatter shield or any powers that this creature had, but it just eats yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this is the fourth monster that we've had so far that's unleashed from the Arctic ice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that's where the danger from the poles <laughs> title came from. I, I guess so. And there's some interesting ideas like they track down like it's flying in concentric circles. Yeah, I thought that was pretty uh, clever at the start. So lots of the normal tropes. But yeah, I mean, it's in this worldscape. And it even has like a mythological aspect to it, which, you know, we, yeah. we mentioned La, La Cacana, but in so many other ways, it just it, it fails the sniff test in that it's not a good movie by itself for a number of reasons. But yeah, as core, it does feel like a, a a monster movie. And it might be, you know, because we got to see Rodan a couple of episodes ago that it's just, it, you know, it's hard to compare these two. But it's it's I, I enjoy getting to watch I like- this movie. I like having the context of having Rodan because to me, it's like, this is how you make a, a giant bird monster movie because Rodan has a a story. Like even without the monster, there is a story going on. Yeah. And, and this one, this one kind of, because I guess we'll get, we'll get into this film. It starts off with that, that same somber look at the paranoid attitude of America during the Cold War. And, oh, oh we've got, oh, the men and women are doing this and we're making this and we're, we're keeping an eye on the Arctic. It and, was very hard to sit through. That yeah, it's just one of those boring beginnings. I like. <laughs> um, I'm surprised they weren't playing like the the, the, the light tones of was, Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> the Deadly Mantis was more interesting. It's like scientists, people doing their jobs, hard at work, working. <laughs> yeah, like, so we, okay, we, 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 we start off with Mitch McAfee kind of doing some test flights and he sport he, he spots this UFO. Or what he thinks is a UFO. And obviously everyone thinks he's goofing off. And and this is kind of the, another trope we get in the American movies where you have that goofy professional, whether he's a scientist or a fighter pilot or whatever. And he's got that kind of almost like Jake Peralta kind of attitude where he doesn't take his work too seriously. This and you always is like probably the best thing in the movie. Him and yes. the female star. Sally oh, um, Mara Corday. Yeah, played by Mara Corday. I, I, I just think it's funny you have that character and then the the professional woman who just can't abide his nonsense who is destined to fall for him. <laughs> <laughs> I, their relationship very odd, but it's actually uh, of the American uh, monster movies. Uh, odd is a, a particular choice of words. I, I would say, I don't know, an HR nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about how creepy their, their love interest is, but at least their back and forth is... I mean, of the American pairs of either man scientist, woman scientist, or man soldier, female scientist, you know, that we've gotten over these films. Uh, This one is, you know, they actually have some chemistry. They have any chemistry together. Yeah, well, that's the the problem with these American films is because you've had so many, we've had so many... actors and actresses who had had zero chemistry in in this genre for for american films it yeah for them to eat despite how awful their their chemistry is written they do seem to actually have a real chemistry between the two actors and i i would have liked to seen these two actors in a better film i i don't know why these american monster movies the 50s have a distinct lack of personality like 
So Mar- Maricorde was the science assistant in Tarantula as well. And I just don't remember her having like half as much. No, you know, she didn't. Interesting stuff as is this movie in, in that film. Um, the yeah, she, in that she's movie just a, was, she's just around. Yeah. Yeah, and we're we're gonna we're gonna see her vicious. we're gonna see her I think a few more times before fifties <laughs> are done because um, I think she's also in the Black Scorpion. She was great in this, like like you said, um, the guy playing Mitch, guy playing Sally. They're both both fine. It's actually one of my favorite scenes is when they're getting drunk on Applejack with Pierre, and uh, he's you know <laughs> I, I do at like the, that at the military, you know, to believe him. And uh, she's like, uh, hold up and like, make some, take another swig and calm down. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did. I did enjoy that, but that was after this, this jackass kisses her while she's asleep. I think that, I think that comes before. Is it before they, they get back on play? Yeah. So like, cause the, didn't they, didn't they have a plane crash to get to where Pierre was? That was their, or am I, th- military, am I mixing up the plane crashes? Yeah. That was their military plane where there was a pilot that saw the creature, but he like got knocked unconscious and doesn't come. Yeah, back There's a the lot movie. of plane crashes in this movie. Yeah. Well, it's a, a flying monster. So uh, it makes sense. I kind of, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, but there's a, lot, there's a lot of plane crashes that the protagonists survive. Oh, well, it's called plot armor. Everyone else <laughs> dies in the flames except for the the two main leads. But yeah, then they get on a commercial flight. That that's have, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And she's asleep. Sally's asleep. And the and the most creepy thing ever. He just like leans over her and, and just starts making out with her and she's like oh hello you can tell like she's not playing i mean she's playing like she enjoys it but th- it is an extremely awkward thing to yes do because they had not kissed before then they had not shown really a lot of no <laughs> she's like where'd that come from and they have an awkward baseball conversation on the plane which is written and is acted very fun but is the is extremely yes weird. It, it, it's it's he's like it is very very to, weird and i I, I, and I will like, say to your earlier point the the two actors have chemistry so they make that scene at least work to how it's supposed to, how i think how how the writer envisioned it but yeah. like as a viewer i'm just like oh no well with these movies almost every american monster movie the monsters are on screen for 10 minutes of a typically 70 to 80 minute runtime. So that leaves you with one full hour of them, you know, usually a half hour lead up until we see the monster. So they're just walking around its destruction and and figuring out a mystery and then trying to overcome whatever magic power it has that makes it immune to bullets or makes them difficult to track or what have you. And at the very least, this movie, when the monster wasn't on screen, wasn't unbearable in my opinion it's because these two things i i I disagree uh (laughs) i think the birds like call and roar is one of the most annoying loot pieces of garbage in kaiju cinema every time it was on screen i just wanted to die well that's what i'm saying no i'm saying yeah the opposite when the monster isn't on screen this is the most interesting of the american monster movies sure yeah Um, i know i I love there's a hilarious scene that it's like the first time that one of the generals recognizes that there's a monster and he just like without batting lights just kill it (laughs) and it's so funny like he doesn't he doesn't like learn anything it's just like he sees he's like kill it shoot it (laughs) Um, um, I, I find the bird hideous. I think some of the moments are are amusing because, like, I um, this bird causes a global 
chaos. I mean, and and like everyone's under martial law, which I yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. The fact that it can fly like anywhere on the planet. And if you're in a movie, if you're a couple of joyriding teenagers or if you're a train (laughs) or a a shipping container, it doesn't matter. Uh, unless of course you're the main characters on the same road in another car uh, if you're any of these other vehicles out and about this thing is going to destroy you and i guess just eat you to yeah i i, I think the the newscaster <laughs> i think put this the best in, in the film they called the the damage that the bird was doing a fantastic orgy of destruction <laughs> oh, which boy. i was just like whoo uh choice of words and so yeah they they after this this kind of for lack of a better term goose chase of trying to track down the the creature and figuring out the the weak point to its its anti-barrier field they they take it out in in one of the most hurried denouements i've ever seen in in kaiju and it's like all these american monster movies are like kill it credits (laughs) yeah no it's we got it and then they have a romantic look let that last about half a second. And then you see the bird's claw like in oh, the water. It's a great <laughs> ending there. I love that. Claw. <laughs> and, then, and, and then the word, the end. And that's it. That's that's it. That's the, that's the done movie. I wish we had like a question mark at the end and the claw going like it. It deserves that kind of camp. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would probably give it I probably would have given it more point if if it had done that, like if it had the the audacity to oh, imagine there might be would. a second. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. There, I mean, we, we skipped over another plot point they stole from them, which is this bird is reproducing and laid an egg somewhere. If the two main characters drive out to where its nest is and just blow holes <laughs> with rifles in the egg. Uh, <laughs> I, don't see this. I don't know what's going on. Oh, man. Uh, I, I will say one of the worst and my favorite scenes is those teens dying or, or they're, they're it's, jalopy. It's being picked up into the air and then dropped and exploding midair and then they are alive on the side of the road somehow um so very i mean i mean it's sad but like so more more later confessed that in, in an interview that no one in the film actually knew what the monster looked like until the movie's premiere which has got to be the I mean, most devastating thing to see I and, think, and i think most of these monster movies are probably like that i done in post I mean, well, or in two, you know, uh, EJ Soberaya team and then uh, Mm -hmm. Honda team. Did the actors in Godzilla, were they able to get, I mean, I guess they had some press materials out before, like while they were. Oh, then you could have like seen the guy in the suit if you wanted to, I'm sure. Yeah, but Um, I think a lot of them, when especially if it's films with the stop motion animation, they might not have, I mean, they may have had ideas like the movie's called Tarantula. You know, you probably got an idea of what it's going to look like. But this is an example where maybe they should have gone with a live buzzard instead, (laughs) like a live bird for the uh, for the monster. Well, so the story doesn't end there. So Moro himself first saw the film in his hometown. And after hearing the audience laugh every single time the monster appeared on screen, he secretly left embarrassed that anyone might recognize him from the movie and allegedly went home and began drinking. Yep, that's a solid plan. That's uh, I I would, too. I, I can understand that reaction. That's a human reaction. Yeah, I I don't know if the actor himself ha- like developed a drinking problem or anything afterwards, but <laughs> I hope um, 
I, I hope not as well. But I mean, that that does happen. I mean, you've heard that in a lot of like very popular cult films in in the sense of, like, of your like maybe Menace the Hands of Fate, where you have people who were stoked they were in a movie and then they see the finished product and kind of sneak yeah. away. I mean, yeah, troll um, too, like like you said, and then sometimes they come back and when it g- gets cult status, they're like, "Yeah, I love this movie from the beginning." Um, and I mean, critics kind of felt the same way about this movie. Uh, <laughs> Leonard Maltin noted that the film disappointed for the for the reasons we've said: uh, a lack of decent special effects ruins the running battle between a colossal bird and fighter jets. Big Bird is laughable, and I mean that kind of says it all. Yeah. So I mean it. And part of this, unfortunately, is on on the director, because so many of these reuse sets, you know, sometimes you just do a lot with a little, but they had like a fixed camera, especially on the 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 planes cockpits. You know, we saw the same plane cockpit a couple times, no real different angles. And when the general was like in the uh, co-pilot seat, <laughs> like there was like a four star general in one of those planes for some reason. <laughs> they, they couldn't get another actor to play the the pilot. So like a general and his, his aide <laughs> were the ones that um, struck the killing blow at the end of the movie. You know, just some reaction shots of them or, you know, something where they're like tracing the bird through the sky. But it was a fixed camera in profile. Just things like that were just it was just hard to watch, especially some of those action sequences because they were so poorly cut together. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the, the legacy for this film is very much that this is the worst monster movie of the 50s this is like the well this is the worst biggest one obviously there's smaller productions and, and things yeah like this is this is put up by columbia pictures so a lot of people this, kind of expected it to be a little grander than it was yeah that that is the main legacy for this movie i could have swore this had been lampooned on a mystery science theater but when i went through to, to watch that version to get some more entertainment out of this this has not this is one that they i think buried well i mean there's that i mean i know for a long time you couldn't officially really get it it was really popular in bootleg circles from you know monster enthusiasts and people who want to either you know complete their collections and stuff which i i do understand uh, it's what we're doing watching <laughs> yeah. this this movie um but yeah, if you know, if they could have gotten Harryhausen to defects, you know, it's possible the movie still would have been terrible. But you could at least have some forgivable monster special effects. But yeah, yeah it stands out in its awfulness. And so, <laughs> as I say that, now comes a time that we're going to talk about rating this movie, where both Patrick and myself use a scale of one to ten to individually look at personal enjoyment, technical and aesthetic elements of the film, and obviously the, the emotional and evocative responses that generate this as a piece of art or, you know, its cultural significance. And we're going to combine those scores, as we always do, to get the, the one number to represent the film on the podcast. And so I'm going to I'm going to kick this one off <laughs> yeah yeah i, I want to know your your personal my, my, my personal rating as you can see me hear me being uncharacteristically negative throughout most of this it's a two it's it Ooh. is a i mean i don't give away like twos willy-nilly but i i think this movie is completely deficient i think the the plot and the writing is is abysmal and while yes jeff morrow is decent like those two actors have chemistry they're in a completely different film. 
Like they're, they are pretending to do something else. It seems like, but I, I think that there is nothing really redeemable outside of, of, you know, wanting to complete a, a science fiction uh, collection here. I, I did not enjoy this movie at all. And I mean, yeah, I got to, I got a couple of chuckles and stuff, but I just, I felt like it was a lazy piece of, of cash in cinema. And it it's unfortunate because I think that they they like like we've said, they had some of the aspects of a kaiju film. This could have been a really, really fun movie. And and honestly, one that could have been could could be remade. Like if you wanted to, like, utilize what remakes should be for, you know, Mm. take a movie that didn't work the first time and take those elements that have potential and promise and and rework it i think that would be a great thing to do with with this movie also retitle it because it's awful oh yeah i would love to see an actual like alien bird uh yeah anti-matter shields and that has a a french canadian folk story or folk myth about it yeah Um, this 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 one this this didn't even tickle my you know my trash cinema fancy i just i just thought it was a typical of its time and just a, a poor effort. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, two is the one of the lowest scores we've gotten for anything here. I enjoy this a little bit more, but I mean, for a lot of factors going into that, because this movie did have the the legacy of being so so terrible and i've of course i've seen clips online of like what the creature had looked like i was like oh this looks really badly done but when i got into the movie maybe because it was so short this movie's like 73 minutes long and because it really does it doesn't even have as much downtime as them them has like some longer stretches that are like all right come on let's get to the let's get to the bugs already i actually enjoyed this i mean not as much as them them is a better movie and was more enjoyable but because of the pure campiness of this movie i got some chuckles out of it i got some enjoyment so i i gave this one a six for personal enjoyment much friendlier than i did (laughs) i could watch i could probably watch this yeah, and I think I gave Son of Kong for personal enjoyment a five. That feels right. I feel like I could watch this before I watch Son of Kong a second time, you know? Mm, no, I'd probably <laughs> rather watch Son of Kong. <laughs> well, that, that's why we rate these like this. <laughs> for technical, though, I'm going pretty darn low. And it's funny because there are elements of this that work. Some sets and, I mean, it's use of stock footage, the monster abysmal. It had some good musical stings, though. It is not very competently shot. I I did actually like some of the miniatures. It shows up terribly scaled on the Empire State Building at one point and like crushes it with its claw. That actually looked not bad. There's like a couple other buildings it kind of smashes through. And it's like that, you know, if they had any kind of a budget, it's interesting that it went to things like those and not just, you know, showed the. (laughs) <laughs> the buzzard marionette flying past a still image of the Empire State Building, but I actually made a miniature and destroyed it. Um, but it's it's still one of the, the worst technical aspects uh, of films that we have seen so far. For that reason, I gave it a four out of ten. What about it's, you? It, honestly, I, I think it's adorable that you, that you call that a low score um, <laughs> because well, I'm, I'm giving it a two again. <laughs> the way our rating goes, that's uh, a four is mediocre and, and uninteresting for for what we work it work in it, and you you've marked it as wholly deficient. 
I mean, the 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 bird is absolutely wholly deficient. I think I think the direction is incompetent. I think the sets mostly look like they borrowed somebody's office and used a a high school productions. You know, well, it's it's funny you say that. Some of them are really bad. I think the cockpit for the the plane awful. The cockpit is awful. Where they're they're meeting with the military is just like an office. But then you go to meet the scientists to talk about antimatter, and there's like a a ton of set decoration. Maybe they had it for another movie or maybe they visited a, a college classroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause that's what it looked like. It's so funny. It's like, what did they spend a ton of money here? I probably, I mean, I bet we can find another science fiction movie filmed in 1956 that they just like borrowed the set for, for a day, but possibly it, it's weird. Like the same thing with some of the stock footage. It's like, sometimes it's in these movies. It's used well in this one. It's used terribly. <laughs> I mean, again, this is why I'm having this existential crisis of like <laughs> really disliking some of these movies. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I I give it a two. I think I think the technical aspect is across the board. Now for the legacy, I I I was a little tad kinder. I gave it a three. Yeah, for for its spiritual kind of. Uh... Well, yeah, I mean, it does have a reputation and for bad movies. Uh, for for being an awful movie, and you know it was traded in bootleg circles, so there there is this kind of like I don't want to say legacy so much as you know a, a general reputation, and I think that that sort of thing definitely makes people curious and interested about a movie. It may not have a lasting you know appeal in the the general oeuvre of films, or if you're talking to you know a general moviegoer and talk about this film, they're going to you know look at you glassy eyed, but. I, I think in terms of, you know, people who seek out these kind of movies, there is, you know, some value there. And so, I mean, that that's worth something. It's not worth much to me, but it's worth something. I, I kind of wish they had leaned a little further into the campiness. I mean, it's not like they play this movie extremely straight, but it, it could have been a lot better if they had embraced. I think it's it's you know, the inherent humor in these movies. We don't really get a good humorous kaiju movie for like 50 years. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you're at it like a two for this one. I'm at a five putting these together. Are you okay with a four for its final score? Because or I, 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 I had a feeling you might be kind of this movie for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> We're at 3.6 uh, repeating for our, our combined score. I think that's what the movie deserves. <laughs> or puts it on the same scale as the Deadly Mantis last week. We averaged out to a four there, even though you gave that one more kudos than I did. <laughs> it's, well, it's always interesting to see what, what, what people <laughs> react to. I, I will say, I, I mean... This makes me want to go back and, and rate Tarantula a little bit lower <laughs> because I feel like this one's right on the same scale. They're they're not. They are. Well, well, we'll hold that thought for next week. Oh, <laughs> so for a final scoring of the film, we have <laughs> the, the giant claw with a four out of ten. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Whew. So. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Kaiju versus History. Email us with any comments, concerns, or Kaiju facts at Kaiju versus History at gmail.com and go to Kaiju versus History.com to get ready for the next installment of our March to the Annals of Monster Movie Mayhem. So thank you, Patrick, and thank you, listeners. And we will catch you next time <laughs> where we begin 
thankfully, to near the end of the 1950s in monster film. But before the end, we need to go back, back to the beginning of giant bug films. That's right. Next time, tune in for History versus Beginning of the End.